Well, good morning, Cap City. How are we doing this morning? Good. Hey, I've got a note up here um, to remind you guys that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, so don't forget to say thanks to your pastors. Back at the uh, discovery table, there's a box if you guys want to drop any uh, gift cards or anything in there. Um, you're more than welcome to. So I think we've got one more week in October uh, for you guys to do that. Um, I am excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Tim, uh, just a little PSA, Tim and I were talking last week, he mentioned it from stage, uh, and he said uh, something about I've been reading along in Exodus with him. He said, sounds like you got a good grasp of what's going on. You want to preach next week? And I said, no. So, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, he asked me back in July if, if I would preach, and it just so happens that uh, we're in the book of Exodus talking through uh, the Israelites' journey. And uh, I went to Tim and I asked him, hey, what advice would you give me for this, uh, for this text? He said, I got one thing to tell you. Don't screw it up. <laughs> so that's what Kyle told me this morning. I heard that from a couple other people. Don't screw it up. So we're going to try to not screw up God's word this morning. Uh, but we are going to be in Exodus chapter 32. If you guys want to turn there, if you guys are new with us, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus. Uh, and if you've been in church for a while, you, you probably are familiar with the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is God's story of redeeming his people, the nation of Israel. We open up the, uh, the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 1, and we hear that it had been 400 years, and there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And that God had heard the Israelites cry. He said, I've seen and I've heard it, and I'm raising up a deliverer, someone I'm going to send to you. And in this all-familiar story, we see Moses, God coming to Moses in the burning bush. And then God raising Moses up to Pharaoh and saying, oh, Pharaoh, it's time to let my people go. Here's the story. Here's the unique thing I think about, uh, you know, us gathering today in churches. We're so familiar with the story of Exodus. Hey, the ten plagues, the Red Sea, the giving of the law, the the uh, the, the 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 Exodus chapter 32, which we're going to get in today. But I think sometimes we we uh, in the midst of being so familiar with the story, sometimes we miss the point. And so I'm excited today. Because if you, if you were to ask me, how do we get to Exodus chapter 32, and like, why is this such a big deal? And the only references we have are the ten plagues, and the Red Sea, and the giving of the law. It won't make sense to you. So what I'm going to do, actually, we're not going to start in Exodus 32. We're actually going to go back. And we're going to start, because I, I want to get the context of what Exodus 32 is. It's Israel's great failure before God. And I think, I think you'll see it. Because if you read from chapter 15 after the Red Sea and you go all the way to 32, you'll understand why this is such a heinous thing. If you read it in your study this week, I would encourage you to focus on three chapters. Exodus chapter 15, 16, and 17. And here's what it is. 
If you've ever, uh, if you ever had young kids, you know the frustration of trying to get a kid to ride a bike. Anybody ever had that frustration? <laughs> Got multiple hands going up. You can put a kid on the bike and you put them on training wheels and you tell them to start pedaling and they start pedaling and they're like, and they don't know what to do, right? Well, Exodus chapter 15, 16, and 17 is God putting on the training wheels for the Israelites. And here's the, here's the question that God is asking them. And I think he's asking all of us. Am I worthy of your trust? And am I worthy of your very life? Am I worthy of your trust? And am I worthy of your very life? We get to Exodus chapter 15. If you guys are familiar with the story at all. If not, let me set the stage for you. If you read the text, there's a song of Moses that starts out in Exodus chapter 15. And it gets down, at, after the end of Song of Moses, it says, now the, the, the nation of Israel, is, they were going on their journey, and it, it had been three days. Here's what we're going to see in each of these things. It's been, there's been a, a, a period of time, and these people, the Israelites, are going to grumble and complain. They're going to grumble and complain against God, and then God is going to show up. That's not going to really say a word. He's just going to provide. Grumble and complain, provide. God provides. The people grumble and complain, God provides again. So we get, we're three days after the Red Sea. Now, if it's, if it's us, let's be real. If it's us, we just crossed the Red Sea, and it's only been three days. You think we're a little bit in awe of God, like, man, I was cool. Like, God has taken us through the Red Sea. We walked through. We saw Nemo and all these other fishes through the sea. Like, that, that was amazing. Surely God's going to show up and do something great. And we get three days afterward. What do they do? They grumble. They're at this place. They say, Moses, this is kind of cruel. You got us out here, and we're in this place where there's this bitter water. We can't drink it. All of our animals, all of us, all of our kids, we're going to die of thirst. Like, really? This is what you brought us out here to do? You brought us out here to die. Moses goes back to God. He's like, what should I do with these people? God tells him, hey, why don't you just go ahead, take this log, throw it in the water, the water becomes sweet to drink. You see, immediately, right after they complain, God provides. At the end of Exodus chapter 15, you see, God provides in such a miraculous way. I think it says there were 12 springs and 70 uh, uh, palm trees or, or date trees. Like, God had provided so much for them. And so you're starting to think, like, okay, they're riding their little faith bike Right? They, they just had their first bump with God. It's been only three days, but they're still riding, and God provides. Maybe the Israelites will start to trust God a little bit. You think? Turn the page to Exodus chapter 16. You turn the page to Exodus chapter 16. In the context, it's about 30 days after the Red Sea. You guys are going to get sick of the nation of Israel. I'm just going to read for you what they said. Exodus chapter 16. So they set out the 15th day of the second month, so 30 days after the Red Sea, and the whole congregation of Israel grumbled against Moses in the wilderness, and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, wouldn't it have been better if we had just died in the land of Egypt? When we sat by pots of meat and... We ate the 
bread to the full. For you have surely brought us out to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You guys starting to get tired of them? I am. There's only been two chapters. You, it would have been better for us, Moses, if we just would have stayed in Egypt. Like, if we just would have stayed in Egypt. Like, really? And here's what's funny. I think so often in our wilderness journeys, in our journeys with God, is that not what Satan tells us? Man, it would have been just so much better. What world are you following God out here? You remember the time you were, you were sitting in your sin and you were happy? You had everything that you ever wanted? Like, what's the point of following God? It was so much better back then. Our, our, our bellies were full of bread. And I only highlight this because in our journeys, that's the same temptation that Satan uses with us to discourage us. Like, any of you ever, maybe not ask for a raise of hand, but any of you guys ever long for your pagan days? <laughs> if I'm honest with you, some days I do. We were at the uh, K-State game last night, my wife and uh, some family that we have in town, and I got asked like multiple times. Uh, that's why I got my lavender on this morning, K-State won. Okay, you didn't play, it was a good weekend. So, uh, and I got asked multiple times, do you miss it? Do you miss it? We were down there on the field, it was a whole bunch of fun, do you miss it? I think Satan asked us the same question, do you miss it? Do you miss it? I have to be honest with you, no, I don't miss playing football. And no, I don't miss my former life. But do you? And is this something that Satan would tempt you with as you continue on in your journey? We see God respond here to the nation of Israel. What does God do in Exodus chapter 16? He says, hey, yeah, you had your pots of meat and your bellies were full, but you were never truly full. You weren't. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I I realize you guys are frustrated with me. I'm going to, every single day, I'm going to, this bread rain down from heaven. And every single day, you're going to go out and you're going to gather as much as you need, get as much as you need and take it back with you. Get as much as you need, take it back with you. And for six days, you're going to do that. On the sixth day, I'm going to provide enough bread for you on the sixth and the seventh day. Because what God was trying to teach him was, Israel, I'm your daily bread. you got nothing to worry about. You can trust me. I'm worthy of your trust. I'm worthy of your very lives. And even if I brought you up out of the, the desert, even if I brought you up out of the land of Israel to die, it's worth it. To follow me. And I don't know if the nation of Israel got it. I don't know if they kind of connected the two, that God was their daily bread, that God was going to be the one, that he was worthy of their trust. Because we get to Exodus chapter 17, 
And God shut off the faucets and he's turned them back on. They've been hungry. They thought they were going to die of hunger. And we get to 17 and you think like, maybe they trust God now. Like, let's just open the book and see. What do they do? Same thing. It, like God takes him back to the first test and it, like, will you, will you trust me now? Moses, I don't have any water. Did you bring us out here to just die of thirst? These people are dramatic. They're a little entitled. They are. They're dramatic. They're entitled. They, they think the worst of God. They think the worst of Moses. What does God do? What is God's response? Calm. Hey, Moses, take your staff. Go hit the rock, and water's just going to gush, gush through. Now, at this point, they've been riding their little faith bike, and every time they've hit a little speed bump, God has provided. They grumbled, complained, God's provided. They grumbled and complained, and God's provided. And so you think right now that the Israelites would be able to answer, God is worthy of our trust, and he's worthy of my very life. No matter where he takes us, I know that he's going to provide. He did it in Egypt. He, he led us through the, uh, the Red Sea, and now he's provided three times. I want to make some points before we get to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, uh, point number one, this is the reason why I'm building it up. But when we focus solely on our physical surroundings or the physical things that God pro- could provide for us, our... Uh, and our physical comfort, we will quickly become frustrated with God in his timing. When we focus solely on the physical things, or focus on the physical things that God could provide for us, we quickly get frustrated with God in his timing. Number two, at times in our journey to the promised land, in our promised land, which is heaven, um, things will get hard. I just will. I was listening to um, a mentor of mine. I, 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 love, I love what he said. He said, it's a tragic experience when you're following a God who's worthy of your trust and wants to take you on a great adventure of exalting his name among the nations, but you never can trust him. The point of the Israelites in their journey, God choosing them, was not for them to exalt themselves. It was for God to be exalted among the nations. And how quickly they thought it was about them. And because you can't trust him with your life, your life will be filled with grumbling, complaining, and quarreling against God. So I'm not going to ask the question, who's grumbled this week? Uh, can't even ask myself that question, so I'm not going to ask you. But how often do we take that attitude with God, like, if I can't see how you're going to pro- provide for me and protect, for me, protect me, I'm just going to grumble against you. Point number three, uh, although the Israelites had seen the miracles, they had still yet to trust God. And although they were out of the land of Egypt... Egypt was still in them. So with that as our backdrop, we get to Exodus chapter 32. A God who's been merciful to the Israelites. A God who's been 
patient and long-suffering and providing for them season after season, even when they've been grumbling, even when things have been hard, he's been right there with them. And so we open up the book to Exodus chapter 32, and I'm just going to read first five, six, seven verses. So when the people saw Moses had delayed, now let me set a little bit of the context here. Uh, Exodus chapter 24, uh, you see Moses with uh, a couple elders in a group, the 70 elders, they go up to the mountain, they receive the, the word of God, they come back down. They go back up again, they get the instructions for the tabernacle. And then Moses goes back up again with Joshua. And you get to the end of chapter 24 of Exodus and it says that Moses had been up there 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the context of where we're at. So when the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses and the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not, what know has, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears uh, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who had brought you up out of the land of Egypt. These people are idiots. Uh, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before them. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You see, I think the Israelites were faced with the two questions, is God worthy of our trust? Is he worthy of our lives? But I also think they were, they were faced with the third question. The question is this. What do you do with God when he's been disobedient to your timelines? What do you do with God when he's been disobedient to your expectations? You see, I think most of us in this room, I know I'm guilty of this, when, when, when I chose to follow Christ, I, I, somewhere we get in our minds that we sign this, this mental agreement with God, and we expect two things of God. Is, is number one, we expect... God, that you'll be reasonable with me. What do I mean by that? God, uh, if good people do good things, then good things should come about in their lives. And the second thing, uh, if bad people do bad things, then bad things should happen to them. That's the first agreement. God, you'll be reasonable with us. You'll be reasonable with me. If I do good things, if I'm a good person, the good things will come of me, good uh, to my life. The second thing I think we expect from God is, God, you will listen to me and you will respond when I ask you. Right? You guys chuckle because you guys know God is often disobedient to those expectations. Is God ever disobedient? No, but we sure treat him like he is. So what do we do with a God who is disobedient to our expectations? The 
just saw what the Israelites did. What do we do with God when we're expecting one thing? We're expecting one thing, but we're experiencing another. nation of Israel looked at God and they said, Aaron, get up and go make us a God that we can hold on to. Go make us a God that will give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Make for us gods because this God is not performing to us in a way that's comfortable for our needs. As for Moses and this God, he ain't operating on our timelines. And we got places to be. So get up and make us a God. You could ask the nation of Israel, what do you do? And they say, God just doesn't meet my expectations. We either replace him or we add to him. Just turn to something else. Turn to something else that'll satisfy me, that'll, that'll, that'll make me feel better in the moment. It's almost, and to be honest, I can kind of understand where they're coming from. Because they're saying, I don't know what's happened to this guy who's brought us out, but I know going forward we need something a little bit more dependable. We need something a little bit more that we can understand. We need something a little bit more that, like, makes sense to us. God never makes sense. In our journeys, he never, ever, well, not ever, he rarely, don't make sense. It's often not until the end that it makes sense. Makes me ask the question, why did the Israelites choose a bull? Anybody know the, the answer to that? What, like, what, why, why not a lamb? Like, if they were so concerned about worshiping God, like, wasn't the lamb the thing that was slain and they put it over the, 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 uh, the blood over the doorpost and they did all that? Like, why not the lamb? You understand the context of where they're living at. The, the, young, the young calf or the young bull in ancient Near Eastern culture was a symbol of strength was a symbol of leadership, was a symbol of fertility or, or ab- ab- abundance. And they turned, and, and, and to be clear, did they have that in God? Did they have strength? Did they have leadership? Did they have abundance in God? So why did they turn away from him? I don't know. But before... Go too hard on the Israelites. Let's go hard on ourselves for a little bit. I don't know for you, but that's convicting for me. Because oftentimes, I look for things for me to have that give me a sense of strength. That give me a, a sense of, of, of leadership or, or abundance. Like, there's these things that I turn to in my life that... Uh, whether I realize it or not, I, I'm actually looking to them to give me the strength and the abundance and the comfort that I really long for in God. 
What about you? What are those things for you? What are the gods of our ages? I don't know. Maybe for you it's, uh, <clears throat> it's money. I got, you turn to money to give you a sense of strength and a power and a, of abundance. Maybe for you it's your family or success or your reputation or, or materialism. Like if I just had more, God, like I would feel this security and I would feel this uh, amidst this, this turbulent life in the, in the seas that we're on. Like I would just feel a little bit better if you would just give me a little bit more of this. I don't know everybody's situation in here, but I've been in church long enough that when God does not meet your expectations, I really want to challenge you. What do you turn to? When he doesn't answer your prayers about, we can't have kids. We're struggling with infertility. What do you turn to? When you're praying for healing for a person and they don't get better, they actually get worse, where do you turn to? You've been praying for faith for one of your kids and they just seem to continue on their wayward path. And you're looking to God amidst the sea of, of I don't know what to do, God, but where are you? Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to turn to? You've been asking for God for something. And maybe life does not look like you expected it to look. Maybe you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 50s, and life just doesn't look like you wanted it to look. Where do you turn? I'm a widow, and I didn't expect it, God. I'm in my early 20s, and I've been praying for this promotion. And not only did I not get the promotion, but the, the person who got it cut corners. You gave it to someone who... who who doesn't even know you, God, and here I am doing everything that I, I, you told me to do and I didn't even get the promotion. Or maybe it's I'm in my 30s or I'm in my 40s and I'm single and God, like, I'm, I, I, want a, I want a spouse. Like, where are you? Where do you turn? I've been to church. I've been doing all the right things. Good things are supposed to happen to me, God. Where are you? I've been praying. I've been praying. Rodney, I'm in church. Been doing all the right things, but I'm guarding my heart against a God who's been dis disobedient. That's my next mistake. So where do you turn? Do you continue to follow him? Or you just replace him or add to him? Rodney, how do I know if this thing's an idol in my life? Let me ask you this question. If you weren't offered an abundance of this or that thing or an abundance of God, which would you choose? going to offer you $5 million for the rest of your, your life, every single year. You can choose that or you can choose God. I'm going to offer you a husband or a wife or children, an abundance of it. If you had to choose between the two, what are you going to choose? I'm going to offer you unlimited pleasure. Maybe it's uh, immorality. Like, you can just have 
whatever guy or whatever girl you want to for the rest of your life. Which one are you going to choose? If you don't know, let me ask you the next question. If you were to offer that thing, how quickly in the morning would you rise up to get it? If you were offered that thing or offered God, how quickly in the morning would you rise up to get it? How generous with your life would you be towards that thing? Because if you look at the nation of Israel, look what they did. Verse 5, Aaron says that tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Verse 6, and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They were willing to do whatever they could to get their hands on a little bit more security. And I wonder if Aaron had told them, hey, why don't we wait a little bit? Like, let's wait a day. God's going to come. He's going to come back. I wonder if they would have had the same attitude. If they would have rose up early the next morning, eager for God. Let's keep reading because, golly, you guys speeding up this clock down here? I think there's some good things in here. Continue on in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. <laughs> so let's stop here real quick. I think it's interesting. Um, God, God calls Moses and said, hey, go down. Your, your people are doing this. It's funny because uh, a lot of times when our kids do something that uh, is embarrassing, I'll look at my wife and I go, that ain't a Kenner gene. That's a... That's from your people. That, that didn't come from me. Uh, I didn't do that one. It's the same way that God looks at Moses. He said, hey, hey, man, your people are down there doing this. Go down for your people who you, who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. Quickly would probably be an understatement. It's only been 40 days. Um, out of the way that I've commanded them, they have made themselves a golden calf, and I've worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, is it a stiff-necked people? Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. This is interesting. Because there's this, there's this tremendous offer on the table for Moses. Hey, uh, Moses, your people are down there doing this and doing that. Uh, they've done all this stuff. And before Moses even goes down, God gives him a, a fabulous offer. What does he offer him? Hey, I'll destroy them, but I'll keep you. And we'll just make a great nation out of you. If I'm Moses at this point, knowing that we've gone through the Red Sea and 15, 16, 17, I'm going, hmm, that's a pretty spicy deal. I might take it. We're going to just start over. It's just going to be me and you. We're just going, okay. What does Moses do? Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, oh, Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people who you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, your servants who you swore by your own hand that to bring them to this land that you had promised. And the Lord relented from disaster. Amazing offer for Moses. And before Moses even sees what's happening, he, he says, God, don't, don't do this. And I think it's an, an incredible response that I want to spend just a, just a few minutes on. Uh, number one, Moses does not take ownership of the people. Now, I wouldn't either, but here's what's, here's what's interesting. Yeah, he says, God, I don't want these people because I can't lead them like you do. Uh, he doesn't take credit for leading them out. Uh, you did it. You're the one who did it by your, your mighty hand. Like, I had nothing to do with it, God. Remember, it was all you. And he appeals to God's mercy on the basis of his glory. He said, why should the Egyptians speak? Why should they bring discredit to you? They'll think you're a cruel God if you just kill them. Like, don't do it. And I think it's interesting. Moses is really not concerned about the nation of Israel. He's concerned about God's glory. What an incredible leader. Incredible. And then he appeals to God on the basis of his goodness. God, remember. Remember what you've promised. To my daddies. Remember. Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph. I appeal to you. Remember what you've promised. And God did not destroy Israel. He, he, he decided not to. And I, I love, I, I found this in a commentary. Um, we, we are not to think of Moses as altering God's purpose towards Israel by this, by this prayer, but as carrying out God's purpose towards Israel in this prayer. Moses was never more like God than in this moment, for he shared God's mind and he shared his loving purpose. What's your response to people when they're in sin? My wife often gets on me because I take this lackadaisical approach. It's like, that's what they want to do? Let them do them. That's on them. And Moses wouldn't have it. What type of person are you? Do you care about people around you? Do you care about God's glory? Do you care about those things that you would say, God, don't, don't, don't bring harm on them. Remind them of your goodness. Don't do that. Remind them. Of, what's your prayer life like? Do you pray these types of prayers? Let's keep reading. Um, Moses is coming back down from the mountain. Uh, he's got the two tablets in his arms. And he comes to Joshua in verse 16, or verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And I would agree with Joshua. There is a noise of war in the camp, but it's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war. Something's going on in the hearts of the, the nation of Israel. And he said, um, Moses came to them. He came to Aaron. In verse 21, he said, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And look at Aaron's response. He said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. He basically tells Moses, hey, man, calm down. Like, 
don't, don't, don't get too mad. And, and here's the deal. Aaron was blind to the realities of what he had done. And you'll see it here in the next couple of verses. He, he's just totally off base. Like, if he's riding his bike with the training wheels, his wheels haven't fallen off. His chain's fallen off. Like, he's, he's, he's just gone off. He doesn't even realize what he's done. Look at what he does. He, he, uh, he said, oh, well, you know, the people, uh, he said, uh, you know the people. You know how they're set to evil. You want to pause here again, sorry. Um, look at the difference between Moses and Aaron. They both knew that the people of Israel were prone to evil. One tried to restrain them. One just let them go. What type of person are you? What type of leader are you? Man, I'm looking at you. What type of leader are you? Do you restrain people from evil in loving kindness because you know that's not what's best for them? Or do you just encourage them on? Ladies, what type of leader are you? Do you rebuke? Do you correct? Don't be like Aaron. Be like Moses. Uh, so he, he, he basically summarizes. And you get down to 24. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire. And what does he say? What does he say? Out popped a calf. What an idiot. Like, he really thought he was going to convince Moses, man, God's done some miraculous things down here. You won't believe it. We threw this gold in here because I know we're about ready to get ready for the tabernacle and build this. And you wouldn't believe it, but out popped this calf. What do you think I'm supposed to do with it, Moses? It's foolishness. Moses doesn't even reply to him. He didn't even say anything back to him. Verse 25, saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose. Moses stood in the, camp, the gate of the camp, and he asked the question. He said, who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? And who's on the golden calf's side? What do you turn to? What side are you on? What is it going to take for you to stand firm? Because here's the deal. It's happening all around us. Is it not? We're called to go out and to live a life that we live by faith and not by sight. And there's going to be temptations to be on the idle side, to, to be on the side of uh, a little bit more surety, a little bit more dependable, instead of trusting God, even when things get hard, even when you don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense to you. You're called to trust him. And unfortunately, the world has a great name that they love for the people in this room. What's that name? Hypocrites. They say to us, hey, we look a lot more like they do dancing around our golden cast. We're, su we're supposed to be clinging to Christ amidst the 
journeys of life. So where do you cling? Where will you turn to? Being on the Lord's side will require a decision from you. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute. Being on the Lord's side requires action. And being on the Lord's side requires a separation from the people who are doing the things that they're not supposed to be doing. Are you willing to take that stand because you know that God is trustworthy of your very life? He's worthy of your trust and he's worthy of your very life. Will you take that stand? So around third and head home, I'm, I realize I'm over time. But I think we would be um, remiss to not kind of see this last part. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin, and they made themselves a God of gold. God already knew that. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out. Blot me out of your book that you have written. What's interesting is that after this whole deal, Moses takes the tablets, he throws them down as a symbol of, of the Israelites breaking their covenant with God. And when he goes back up to the mountain, notice what he doesn't take with him. He doesn't take a lamb. He doesn't take an ox. He doesn't take anything. He goes up himself. He said, God, I know you uh, made this great deal for me that we could have gotten rid of them. Instead, I, I, I don't want you to get rid of them. I want you to just get rid of me. And a beautiful picture of a greater Moses that would come. You see, God did not allow Moses because he knew that Moses could not truly pay for what the Israelites had done. And God, in this moment, was looking forward to a day where someone who had a great deal, who was sitting at the right hand of God, consider it nothing, and he emptied himself... And he came down off the mountaintop of God, and he came, and he was with us as a people. And he lived with us. He saw us. He saw the brokenness. He saw what we were tempted to worship. And he makes his way, not up a mountain this time, but up a hill called Calvary. He says, I'll make the atonement. I'll do it. I'll pay for you. And I think it's just a beautiful picture that all throughout the Old Testament, we get just little pictures, little tastes, little, little things that we get to see Christ in. And Moses is a beautiful example of that. If God had allowed Moses to take it, I wonder what the Israelites' response would have been.
hope that they wouldn't have continued on in their sinful ways. I hope that they would have recognized the heinousness of their sin. Like, I, I hope that they would have changed their way and that they would cling to God. They would find him trustworthy. They would appreciate what Moses had done because God didn't destroy them. He destroyed him. And I hope we would do the same today. We would not live a life of indifference to what Christ has done for us. We would not make excuses for our sins. That when life gets hard and we don't understand God, when he's being disobedient to our expectations and our timelines, that we would cling to him. That we would trust him. Because is he worthy? Is he worthy of your trust? Is he worthy of your life? Is he worthy of your trust? Is he worthy of your life? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for just this time where we get to open your word and uh, just hear and learn. And I thank you that you're an incredibly merciful God that even though we complain and we grumble and you provide and we do the same thing over and over and over again, and even when we are faithless, you remain faithful to us. God, I pray that that would change our lives, that God, that, that, would, that would motivate us, God, that, that we would long for the day that even in our wilderness journey to this promised land that we cannot see and we don't understand, and sometimes you take us on journeys that, that just don't make sense, that you would help us to cling to you and to trust you with our lives, that we would not turn aside, that we would not turn aside so quickly that we would cling and depend on you. For you love us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your blessing that we don't deserve. And I pray that you would help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.